0: www.healthcmi.com acupuncture continuing education online today we're going to talk about how acupuncture can help people overcome a variety of pain syndromes now the important thing here is that this is supported by modern research it is both an ancient medicine and a modern medicine this also encompasses the entire Chinese medicine theory of differential diagnostics and herbal medicine. Included in that system are also things like tui Na massage therapy and other forms of exercise, as well as qigong, tai chi, many things. Now, acupuncture is one aspect of this system that has been studied extensively. In fact, if you go to healthcmi.com and you look for the article entitled Acupuncture Pain Relief Confirm, which was published March 8th, 2021, you'll see quite a lot. So again, healthcmi.com. Click on News. You'll see our News Department. It's a free department. Take a look at the news. It's research-based. It shows several pieces of research, including research from Harvard Medical School, Georgetown University, and the University of Arizona College of Medicine, where investigators have shown that acupuncture is good for things like low back pain, also for things like pediatric pain, also for things like fibromyalgia. So it's really worthy to take a look at the hard research. But then we ask ourselves, well, why isn't it more prevalent in the healthcare system? Well, I will say it is prevalent in the healthcare system. And at this time, as of this podcast reporting, there is some minimal coverage within Medicare, even for acupuncture for low back pain. Now, it's um, not the best rollout, but it is working, it is evidence-based, and it is partially driven by a need to have an alternative to pharmacologic agents because there is an opioid epidemic. And acupuncture has been supported by research. Yes, if you go to that research that we cited here, you'll see it from Harvard, Stanford, uh, Tufts University, many other universities showing, yeah, the research bears it out. So it may be ancient but it is also modern. Now, if we look at the ancient language, if I was talking about medicine 2,000 years ago or a 1,000 years ago and acupuncture treatment, we might talk about neuroconduction and the endocrine system in terms of qi and blood circulation. But those are modern correlates to endocannabinoid systems, dinorphins and endorphin releases from the endogenous system within the body that produces its own biochemicals. I always say... The best pharmaceutical company in the world is the human body. I will also add that a lot of times the herbal medicine is misunderstood. In other words, if Tu Yo discovers the cure for malaria, which is Hao, artemisia, our herb in Chinese medicine for two, 3,000 years, it's been used for that. Once we concentrate that and put it in a pill and put a pharmaceutical company's name on it, it's now a drug and somehow the herbs are lesser, but the drugs are more important and therefore more bona fide. There is basically an implicit bias. So we would call it Hao Su technically in Chinese medicine, but you can give it all kinds of brand names and whatnot. It's still an herbal medicine and other herbal medicines that cure many other things are in pill form or injection form. But as we know them, they're pharmaceutical agents. So there is a, a disconnect and we tend to create dichotomies like East versus West. And this goes to something called implicit bias. What's happening is if we say, well, do you like this vaccine and this drug and this medication from this X and such pharmaceutical company, we'll say, well, the studies show it's safe and effective. It's great. Okay, major university, etc. cetera. But if we say the same thing about an herbal medicine or an acupuncture point prescription, the same people might say, well, we don't really know... And there's a million reasons why we don't know. Now, it doesn't matter that it's coming out of the most prestigious universities in the world, the uh, the research, the hard research, it is coming from there. The University of Chicago has its own Chinese medicine, herbal medicine research center. So there's, there's lots of research out there from prestigious institutions, but the implicit bias is, well, if it comes from, let's say, Merck Pharmaceutical or something like that, then it's somehow real. But if it's just an herb that grows, maybe it's unregulated, we don't know the dosage. We have a thousand objections. The sample size in the research was inadequate. Whatever the objection is. Now, I can show you plenty of research with enormous sample sizes. I can show you plenty of research where we know how to control the dosage, etc. But the conditioning in our society is such that biologics are somehow less than. Now, this is partially due to industrial issues with nutraceutical companies really irresponsibly making supplements that don't do much for you, have a few herbs in it, and supposedly it helped you, and they don't really work, so they make lightweight stuff. But a lot of Chinese medicine is heavyweight stuff, so we can get rid of ulcerative colitis. Acupuncture can help people with fibromyalgia or help reduce swelling around a herniated low back disc. And the MRIs are there. The CAT scans are there. The blood tests are there. So overcoming this implicit bias is very important. I guess in an extreme example, it does rear its head as xenophobia. But even the most progressive individuals, will find themselves resistant to these things because it's outside of the convention and norms of what they knew when they went to medical school, for example. So it is a little new to find out that their very same medical schools are promoting Chinese medicine with research. And it's Acupuncture is used within the U.S. military, for example. It's covered by insurance carriers based on research showing X and such conditions can be benef- you know benefiting people. The American College of Physicians already endorses acupuncture for the treatment of low back pain. So there is a disconnect. Now, are there enough acupuncturists to fill the void, let's say, in the United States or Mexico or Canada? Not necessarily. They're, they're really... Maybe at the time of this podcast, there's 35, 40,000 acupuncturists in the United States. Not a lot. And then what people don't realize, there are sub-specialties. You might see an acupuncturist for back pain, but their specialty might be infertility or skin disorders. Because when you see a doctor, their specialties are labeled by degree. So a physiatrist has their scope of practice. An osteopath has their scope of practice, right? A dermatologist has their scope of practice. But in most states, within the United States, for example, this is also true in much of Canada, people are just LACs, licensed acupuncturists. Maybe they have a diploma of Oriental Medicine or acupuncture from the NCCOM. And it really doesn't give you an insight into the nature of their career. So there's a disconnect there with certifying bodies and processes as well. And the sheer numbers aren't there in terms of acupuncturists specializing in different disorders. I'm a licensed acupuncturist, for example, and I had the privilege of studying with one of the luminaries in the field of scalp acupuncture for many years. As a result, I can take on neurologic conditions, including some types of post-polio syndrome, some types of post-stroke syndrome, where maybe another acupuncturist didn't go down that track. That was something I was interested in. Maybe another acupuncturist spent 10 years interning in a center for oncology and helps people with pain due to cancer. And if you go to that article we referenced, a whole lot of cancer centers, in fact, every major cancer center in the United States, this is Mayo Clinic, Memorial Sloan Kettering, they all have acupuncture centers, all of them. All of them. Every major cancer center in the United States provides acupuncture. And there's a reason, because of the pain level and the need to address it. And there's a lot of advantages to providing pain relief for those people in non-pharmacological alternatives, because they're already loaded up on medicines. They're already fighting nausea. And they need to be able to withstand certain types of medications. And by adding too many pain medications, it can interfere with their treatment In addition, sometimes the pain medicines aren't just enough and they're not cutting it. And acupuncture can then have a synergistic effect with the drugs to provide better pain relief or an additive effect. In addition, I have to add, the relief of nausea with acupuncture is utterly and completely profound, not just for chemotherapy patients, not just for weak and deficient people, but also for people with morning sickness. And it can be instantaneous. That's also, when I see a migraine patient, first thing I do is say, do you have nausea? Lie down. Turn off the music. Turn down the lights a little bit. Enough so I can see. Get rid of the nausea first. Takes a couple minutes. And then we move on getting rid of the headache. Pericardium 6, neguan on the wrist. A miraculous point. That's what it does. It's point specific. Point specificity. University of California, Irvine, if you look at some of the research at healthcmi.com, just click on news and look for it, you'll see something called point specificity. We know certain acupuncture points do certain things. We know Du 14 has anti-inflammatory effects and benefits patients with pneumonia and pro-inflammatory problems with the lungs and chronic bronchitis. We know PC6-NAG1, we know that point addresses things like nausea. We even know the pathways and nerve fibers they stimulate. And we even know with our fMRI studies, we know exactly what brain centers are activated and deactivated to achieve those results. So it's not just that we know that acupuncture works. We literally have insight into many ways and pathways of how it works in terms of stimulating the brain and the endocrine system and the autonomic nervous system by restoring parasympathetic tone and down-regulating excess sympathetic activity. So, this implicit bias doesn't take into account this scientific understanding of Chinese medicine. If I, as an acupuncturist, say, oh, it's the qi and blood, it's, you know, I, I speak in the ancient terms, people don't understand it. So, for example, I say, oh, you have... Chi stagnation, obstructing the flow of blood, people say, well, that that doesn't sound real. I say, well, we have studies that kind of explain in Western medicine exactly what we're talking about. In this case, I'm referring to a patient who always has cold hands and feet and a lot of stress. Wakes up at 3 a.m. It's a syndrome. We call it chi stagnation. Sometimes they have floaters in the eyes with this. We have specific acupuncture points for this. When you needle them, it moves the circulation, the microcirculation of blood. We say the chi. You can say it balances the parasympathetic and sympathetic divisions of the autonomic nervous system such that peripheral nerves deliver proper circulation of blood and micronutrients to the extremities. To us, it's the same thing. It's just different ways of referring to it. Yes, we have poetic terms, but qi and blood are very large terms in Chinese medicine developed in an ancient language, but it has not stopped in time. It has moved forward, and we understand exactly different types of energy or qi. Some is electrical energy through nerve fibers. We know what nerve fibers we're stimulating. Sometimes it's things like regulating the autonomic nervous system. So when someone comes in, and I get rid of their cold hands and feet, and their floaters go away, and they're no longer waking up between 1 and 3 a.m., and their anxiety levels have gone down, and their panic attacks have ceased, that is simply a syndrome. And it has long been called liver chi stagnation. And there's some other issues, what we call heart shen and many things in there, but it has long been labeled in Chinese medicine under syndrome differentiation. And we also know for decades now, supported by research, exactly what pathways we're talking about. And... The problem in implicit bias is people don't realize that just because an ancient medicine exists does not mean it's not also modern and scientific. So I submit to you that we need to not look at something as other as occident versus orient as primitive versus scientific. We need to look only at safety and efficaciousness. And yeah, we need to see the data points. We need to see the research. But once the research is there, we need to really go with the facts, not make up our own facts, not fancy ourselves as maybe really progressive or really conservative, whichever you think is a better way to look at the world, right? Because both perspectives can create problems neither perspective is very important in terms of medicine. What's important is safety and efficaciousness. Someone might consider themselves very open-minded to the latest in medicines, but only if it comes from pharmaceutical companies. Some consider themselves open-minded only if it comes from the best factories and companies that they trust. I think inherent skepticism is a little different, and that's natural. But at a certain point, there's enough evidence where that becomes implicit bias. It even is ultimately an expression of xenophobia because the research has been done. The results are in. And just because someone isn't aware of it doesn't mean that their perspectives are not antiquated. In an effort to overcome this implicit bias, it is so important to be aware of what's actually happening on the ground in clinical trials and in clinical medicine, which is why I urge you to go to lcmi.com, click on news, and look at the results. Now, we've published thousands of articles on thousands of studies. You're not going to like every one, but you're going to like a few. I think what's also important is the vision of providing safe, effective, and cost-effective medicine is an important dream to achieve. Can we ultimately administrate that on a wide scale basis through government or private healthcare systems? That's a difficult thing to achieve, but we do know from cost-effective studies that acupuncture and herbal medicine have an important place. I'll give you one of my dreams now. I'm Adam White, licensed acupuncturist. That's a little late for the intro, but there it is, okay? been working with Healthcare Medicine Institute. I've worked with universities on Chinese medicine, acupuncture, and herbal medicine, qigong, tai chi, na massage for decades. And my dream is to see, for example, every pregnant woman who has nausea due to morning sickness to get the proper treatment so they don't have to deal with that problem and have a beautiful carry. Every person who has phantom limb pain to get a simple acupuncture treatment to get rid of it to help people with cancer have less pain and have a dignified life and some peace of mind and a good sleep. Things like this. One thing I would like to see, we're a little far off from that, is the implementation of herbal granule pharmacies in the hospitals in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Why do I say that? Because I live in North America. I'd like to see it there. One company alone, Tianjiang, for example, in China, serves over 8,000 hospitals with herbal granule pharmacies across Asia. That's not to mention all the research institutions and university associations they have. And they wrote the book on purity and potency. So they've got you know, thin layer liquid chromatography, mass spectrometry, everything to show that the herbs are potent, that dosage is controlled and precise and exact, and that the active ingredients are there. They have automated rooms where you type in the herbal formula, and out comes the granule powder to drink or to have in a capsule. These are these. It's very highly sophisticated robotics just to get it to you. Everything from the seed stock to pollution control, sustainability, and water. Protection of endangered flora and fauna, they're on it. This is not the image that a lot of people have. I know in the United States, for example, there is this, well, in China, it must be anti-environment. Well, maybe they have a history of environmental problems. I will certainly say the United States has a long history of that as well. I think every country has its problems in terms of rules, guidelines, enforcement, and policies that can ultimately oppress people or damage land, air, soil, water, but they also have policies that promote growth, that promote a good life, that think about the future, and a small company like that, funded as a small research company in herbs decades ago, has grown into a multi-billion dollar organization committed to purity and potency. I don't receive any checks from them, I should mention. Why do I love them? Because they're doing a great job. And I can trust that they deliver herbal medicines that are pure, potent, and controlled dosages. How do I know that? They wrote the TCM Atlas, literally the guideline book on identifying herbs and what's in it, and any issues with pollution, heavy metals, pesticides... All of it. It's all there. We need to look at what's happening on the ground today. We can't really look back. Was it the wild times of verbal medicine a while ago? Decades ago, yes, but we've moved on. And some of these companies are literally pharmaceutical companies, Tassley Pharmaceutical. By the time people see the Shen dripping pill on the market, it won't be called that. It's already in phase three U.S. FDA trials. It'll be just a, another drug that cures angina pain. It's a mixture of Sanqi or Tianqi, Borneol, that's Bingpian, and Danshen. It's three herbs, and they've been extracted in a multi-million dollar machine to give you the purest, most potent herbs possible. It's a good example of another company that's doing a great job. Lianhua Ching-wen has been shown to prevent viable replication of COVID-19. And that's by Yiling Pharmaceuticals, another great company. So these companies have the capability of producing the same level of pharmaceutical-grade output as you would see from many pharmaceutical companies for their drugs. So again, implicit bias is, oh, it's kind of uncontrolled, we don't know, there's no research, I'm unsure, but a licensed acupuncturist who is trained in herbal medicine, in many states in the United States, for example, people are required to be trained in that, will know the distinction between basically useless over-the-counter products that are not efficacious or uncontrolled and the real deal. So we know when you buy something like from Treasure of the East that comes from Tianjiang, we know it's the real deal, and we know it's pure and potent, and we know they've detoxified it and it's pure. So there's a lot of changes that need to happen. Acupuncturists, we go through the same thing. The rules and our perspectives 30 years ago don't apply today. Things have changed. Things have grown up. Things have become mainstream. Things have become more official. More science has been done. We've learned a lot. We've grown up. The thing about Chinese medicine is it's not just an ancient medicine. It is a modern medicine. It is a scientific medicine and it's an ongoing study. It's an ongoing project. When the great grand master Wei Shui did the research in the 1950s showing the application of acupuncture points to 14, 13, 12 with large intestine 11 and stomach 36 helps in reducing the replication of malaria. That was just the tip of the iceberg where the research was being done at Shanghai University. It's everywhere now, the university, in major institutions around the world. Now, that was prior to Tu Yuyo discovering Qinghao or Artemisia and its ability to kill malaria on the spot. And now, of course, with synthetic versions, we can prevent the de- depletion of crops and make different variations that are resistant to different variants and things like that. And she eventually won the Nobel Prize in Medicine, but you know, virtually unrecognized in the 1970s when she discovered it, um, but later in her 80s, finally received the Nobel Prize in Medicine for that discovery. That's herbal medicine. She got the cure from a 200-year-old book. She's kind of a genius, actually, because she was able to, on a shoestring budget, figure out from that book. She knew where to look. That was part of her spark. And she scanned and she tested. She even tested on herself and the crew. She knew where to look, and she realized that a low-temperature extract was going to get you more active ingredient out of that herb. Some herbs have to be high-pressure, high-temperature extract. It's different for every herb. That's why the research continues. It's important to extract ingredients in the right way and get the most active ingredients. And she was able to do that with the low-temperature extract, and that led to the cure because then you could concentrate the herbs enough. And the 200-year-old book specified exactly that. They were basically making a sun tea version of it, like a room temperature extract. And for industrial production, she originally did an ether extract to kind of simulate that in a rapid form. It's brilliant work. But again, when people have implicit bias, they don't think of Chinese medicine as the scientific medicine. They're in this dichotomous relationship with the past. But we need to move on and embrace science. That's my message of today. I really wanted to kind of go into detail with that. And it's something that I invite people to understand. So my dream is to have that granule pharmacy available in every hospital in the United States, Canada, Mexico, around the world. It'd be great. I don't know that I can achieve that in a lifetime, but maybe I can get a handful of hospitals to have these kind of high-grade pharmacies with the right people prescribing the herbs. You cannot give that to an MD. That's irresponsible. They They have their plate full as it is, and they've got a lot of drugs they're responsible for. But a licensed acupuncturist trained in herbal medicine can handle that division, and they can be on the floor helping with that part of the diagnosis and treatment. You know, one concern is, well, let's give it all to the MDs. They kind of know what's going on. Well, that's partially true. But the other part is they're overburdened with too much responsibility, and they are busy and swamped. And they're hard workers, and they save lives. So now you want to dump acupuncture and herbs onto them? Not appropriate. They don't have the training unless they've gone to acupuncture college and received a certificate and spent years studying. It's just simply an inappropriate application of a modality. It's not just a treatment modality. that You can just put a few points in and off you go. That type of application, people are trying to get away with that with different types of medical professions. It's you know a three-hour training and then poke needles in people, that borders on the absurd and it's even dangerous. Um, We see that a lot with different uh, types of uh, allied healthcare professionals. Instead, don't overburden them with that. Simply apply another option for them to give their patients because most of the doctors I've known through the years have only wanted their patients to get better and they want a solution. Here's a cream, here's a pill, here's a surgery, let's fix this problem, let's move on. That, those are the people I've been dealing with. They're serious and they've got a, a room full of people they got to treat and they got to get them better. It's a busy day. And we got to get the job done. They roll up their sleeves, they get to work too. And if you put a licensed acupuncturist in the room with an herbal pharmacy, there's a lot they can do for chronic bronchitis and pneumonia. So I invite you to think about that dream and discover Chinese medicine. I hope you I hope you enjoyed this today. I really would love to see the herbal pharmacies come about in a good way in North America. And at HealthCMI, we will continue to work towards that end. Thank you for listening today. www.healthcmi.com.